welcome to the This Believe Land is Your Land podcast. That really doesn't flow off the tongue very easily. Um, I really like the sentiment of it, but it, just, it doesn't flow. Um, for the first time in a couple of weeks, I am joined by Mike Krupka. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing good, Josh. How you welcome. doing? Good, good. Welcome back to the show. We've missed you, bud. And uh, John okay. Colosimo, our, uh, our Earthwise, Earthsats regular co-host. How you doing, John? I'm doing excellent, man. Happy Halloween. Yeah, happy Halloween. We tried to record this podcast when we didn't have thousands of screaming children up and down the block uh, begging for candy and, and smashing stuff in the road, but it didn't work out. So here we are on Halloween. And as a result of doing this on Halloween, we have, uh, we have been doing some active trick-or-treating. And by active, I mean walking around with uh, rum and bourbon spice cider um, to, uh, to, to keep everybody warm. Yeah, to keep everyone warm despite it being 70 degrees outside here in the greater DC area. Um, <laughs> Yeah, plenty, plenty of warmth uh, shared by all. I was actually really impressed with the, uh, with the adult uh, Halloween game for my neighbors this year. For the first time in what feels like <laughs> 10 years of living here, people really brought their A game. There's lots of options. It was great. What do you mean? What's that? I just mean, like, so we have neighbors that are the fun neighbors that always, like, kind of stage a bottle of tequila, and they're just doing their, like, we're going to test to see how cool the rest of the dads of the street are by, how, by who, who's willing to get into that action. But this year there was there was punch, there was spike cider, there was a, a a family that was dressed up as like a German like beer baron, and like they had an actual keg of Oktoberfest that they were pumping on their porch. It was um it was lit. It was fun. But did they have the captain? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good to have options. That sounds like a good time. And I know that your neighborhood is pretty tight, you know, as far as the houses from. Yeah, so that's got to be an easy block to walk, you know, compared to being on the countryside or something. Yeah, you know, it really made me it made me homesick for for Lakewood, the greater Cleveland area. It was something that like we saw growing up in Northeast Ohio, that like sense of community on Halloween, but you don't see as much um, when you have a lot of transplants. So so it was fun. It was a good time. I feel bad. Um, one of my really really close friends sent uh, my son a Browns uniform as a present this year, like a month ago. And he got really excited for it. I don't really know why he's not really old enough to really get into football, but he really loved it. And he wore it like three or four different times, helmet and all football and all. Um, and he decided he wanted to wear it to school today. So it was like, I've had two phases of like shame with this costume. Like number one, like there's the embarrassment of I'm really indoctrinating my kids into being a Browns fan and what that means <laughs> like that. Like we are here I don't know about you guys, but I've tried to quit this team multiple times over the course of the years, over the course of the ridiculousness. I can't. But now it's like it's a conscious decision. Now I'm consciously wrapping another young mind up into the misery that is uh, th- th- this fan base. I, I feel a certain kind of way about that. Now I can totally understand that. I mean, but hey, it's, uh, it's the cross we bear, right? I mean, it's, uh, you, you, you were past this torch, and now you're passing it to the next person, and, you know, uh, someday he'll probably pass it to somebody else. It's just the way it goes, and hopefully we're headed for better times. And maybe one day passing that torch won't be a, a life sentence. Yeah, I mean, Meaning just like in prison. Yeah, and I mean the alternatives here are Zombie Browns. He could be a Ravens fan, um, and we're not having that. Or you know, a Redskins fan, and like the Redskins are having a good year. Some mince words, like they're in first place in their division. They're going to compete in the division. But it's not like they have a better ownership group. It's not like they have a more storied franchise. Like, this is a franchise that does a lot of Brownsy stuff, too. So I don't view that as, like, a major upgrade. If we were living somewhere else, 
um, it would probably be a tougher decision. But um, he wore it to school today. And I was just like, I had to preface it to all his teachers. Like, look, I didn't choose this for him. I didn't put him in this. I had nothing. Like, he chose this. And maybe he'll unchoose this in a couple of years when he knows the ramifications of it. But um, I think that being a, a, a young person and being a Browns fan teaches you something about perseverance and loyalty, even when things get rough and awful. So at least that's what I'm telling myself to feel better about it. No great artist was ever happy, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but it was- I think you also, I think you also look at the Cavs, right? And you look at the blueprint that they gave us. I mean, we all suffered for all this time, and then you saw the celebration the city went through. No matter where you were at, even me over here, I mean, everybody was joined in it. And when the Browns do it, it's going to be that on steroids. And that's the, you know, that's that's what you look for. I mean, that's what you look forward to, right? And and all this suffering is is what's on the the end of it. Yeah, you know, I thought that after the the Cavs won, there was going to be riots and people screaming and yelling and flipping over cars. There was nothing but an overwhelming sense of relief and grown-ass men hugging each other and crying in the middle of the streets of downtown Cleveland. Like, it was, there was no greater show of love and happiness and relief. So, yep. I mean, that's – and that's the Cavs. I can imagine that should the, uh, should the Browns get their ish together at some point and be able to get to that level, um, I, I, I can only imagine that it will be magnified exponentially. Nobody needs this team more than Mike, though. Let's be honest, all right? He doesn't even have seasons, all right? doesn't even have seasons. The leaves don't fall off the trees. If he didn't have the Browns, what would ground him? I, I have no idea. How would, he, how would he know the time is passing? Yeah, I mean, in, in a future world in which the Browns uh, win a Super Bowl, like if the Browns were to, to lose a big game like they do every week, you know, Mike is sad and goes surfing and, like, goes and hangs out at the beach and, like, and to – when he goes out to celebrate a big Browns win, he goes out surfing, he goes to the beach, you know, he looks at <laughs> the really rough dichotomy. Sometimes I've got to sweep up the plume areas, you know, like that's, that's a pain in the ass. Uh. You just got to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I got to throw that stuff in there, Josh, just to see, just to see your reaction because you used to live out here. Yeah. I mean, trust me, it is no. spoken exclusively from a place of uh, great deep jealousy that, that I, I make, <laughs> make no mistake about it. When people say, like, I would miss the seasons, they are lying. I mean, and people are listening to this right now, and they're like, no, 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 I'm the, ex- I, you know, I'm the exception here. I really do love scraping my car off at 6.30 in the morning <laughs> and not being able to feel right. my fingers. Like, that's a really good time in my life. Like, no, you're lying. You're, lying. you're all right. lying. Or you've just never been to Hawaii. You don't know how amazing Hawaii is. Those are the only two options I'm willing to accept. <laughs> um, but it was it was funny. So, so – Child walks in wearing this full-on Browns suit and regalia. Um, and his teachers were like, you're celebrating today, right? And you know what? They were right. The reason that I think that he was into it was because he saw that dad was super excited about something this week and it was Browns related. And that super exciting moment was that we are finally escaping from our long nightmare. And uh, that, that is a really awful way to talk about somebody losing their job. I recognize that. And, and Hugh is people, and he has a lot of wonderful philanthropic outreach programs and a whole bunch of stuff, and I'm really excited for him to do those great programs somewhere else, to bring awareness to human trafficking through his job on some other squad, on some other team, with some other fan base having to listen to his nonsense week in, week out. Um, walk me through how you guys reacted to, first, the, the obvious news and the less obvious news. So... You know, for, for me over here in Hawaii, I was expecting to to wake up and see that notification on my phone, and I didn't. And so I kind of scrambled to my phone. And yeah, I didn't have a notification either. It was the same thing for me. That's weird. 
Yeah, it's weird, right? And so I scrambled to my phone at 5.55 in the morning, and, and there it is, just greeting me. And, you know, I kind of just took a moment of silence, to be honest, and I just kind of absorbed it. I mean, we knew it was coming, um, and to be quite honest, it was about time that, that it did. Uh, that's all I can say. I mean, what else can you say? It's about damn time. He was just an absolute train wreck of a head coach, um, and just the, we'll get into this later, I'm sure, but just the... The stuff that, that that continues to come out is just head scratching to me. How people can continue to make excuses for for his record, uh, for the types of players he had on his team, the types of players he wanted on his team and got, and then didn't want. I mean, it was just just a nightmare. So um, I think this team is is better off for it. I think we're worse off because we gave him a chance this year to even inherit the roster and, and the number one overall pick. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's about damn time. Yeah, um, I actually didn't know it was coming. Like. I figured if he escaped from from Pittsburgh and came back and it didn't happen Sunday night, I didn't think it was happening. So when it actually did turn around, I was a little bit surprised. Like, I thought that this was probably like a bye week type activity. Um, I think that David Zavak had a great comment. He's kind of running with this this narrative, that, and I really like it. He says that, you know, there may be parts of this that are the cause of the front office. There may be things that are exclusively Hugh, that, that Hugh exclusively has been responsible for going badly. But there was never a situation – in which Hugh didn't exacerbate a problem that existed where like where Hugh had the opportunity to like make something better or make something suck a little less. And he would just like, he would always just magnify it. He was a force multiplier for bullshit. Right. And I think the, the the part of that too, for for me, you see on the field that um, I look at the game plan. I look at how things unfolded year in and year out, game in and game out. And I never quite ever saw something that Hugh did where I thought to myself, wow, that was the reason why we ended up, you know, winning a game or, or overcoming a problem with the game plan or what, what the, the scheme was being thrown at us from the, from the defensive side of the ball. I never once can look back and say, wow, Hugh Jackson's the reason why we won a game or did something good. So, Yeah, and I mean, you can even say that the games that he did manage to win took like an overwhelming amount of crazy shit happening in order for those games to actually bounce our way. If you think back to the blocked field Brody goal. Prince. Yeah. If you think back to like all of the, the craziness that happened in that Ravens game, there just, there wasn't a decisive, like there wasn't a decisive win. He never won by more than one score. It was always mm-hmm. like the other team just managed to snatch defeat away from the jaws of victory in a way that like they were doing it better than the Browns did. It's just. Which is hard to do. You know, it was hard to beat the Browns at their own game. And that's probably why it only happened once in the last two years, you know, previous to this one. You know, and I know somebody just lost their jobs, but you know what? Hugh can cry himself to sleep on his $50 million pillow, okay? (laughs) He'll be the one leading the next speech at the uh, former Browns coach party that they have somewhere, you know. The draft, right? Isn't that where they do that? Don't all the ex-Browns coaches get together at the draft and have, like, pizza and beer and and make jokes about, like, how awful it was? Right, as they're still cashing their checks that are coming in weekly, you know. Uh, So, yeah, I know somebody lost their job, but uh, nobody deserved it more than Hugh, as far as I was concerned. Uh, You know, I was excited about the hire. I admit I never looked into his Oakland time. and uh, But at the same time, I saw the cracks pretty early. I remember specifically the moment that this happened. I think it was the Baltimore game in his first season. And this is the season where you let go of Mitchell Schwartz and Alex Mack, 
the offensive line was in bad shape. And Hugh, I watched Hugh against Baltimore dropping uh, Josh McCown back seven, seven steps and just getting beaten to hell. And that's like when I first said, okay, this is not a guy who adapts to his personnel whatsoever. Yeah. And it just went, just went downhill from there, you know? And just like you said, you know, it's, it, it just was never a point that I ever felt I had a schematic advantage. And uh, I'll tell you what, I, I look back, uh, you know, I've made this point before, but you just look at Shanahan just uh, two years before, okay? Like when, you, when you're going to cry me a river about not having great personnel and, and that's why we couldn't move the ball and those types of things – Offense was Hughes' specialty. He'll tell you that. He will tell you that every time he gets the chance. <laughs> and, you know, Shanahan, I watched Shanahan with just as bad a personnel, okay? You know, maybe a little better personnel, uh, you know, that first year with a better offensive line. Uh, and, That's it. You know, right, exactly. You're not doing anything. We didn't have big playmakers in the wide receivers. And he moved that ball. I mean, Shanahan was giving you a schematic advantage on a Sunday with lesser personnel. That's what a good coach does. And that's what we never, ever saw with Hugh Jackson. And that's why it was time to go. And I'm just glad because he could have done a whole lot more damage over the next uh, nine weeks of the season. I I actually didn't have a real problem that first year. There was definitely some disconcerting stuff in there and the way they use personnel. It was really the, for me, the, the, the come alive moment or the, the uh, I've, lost my faith moment was um, obviously the, the schematic stuff, but um, I watched him throw to, re- to wide receivers that were running routes at the boundary. So, so wide receivers, I, I complained about this relentlessly wide receivers running go routes or, or running routes that keep them on the sideline who couldn't catch and couldn't get separation. And they were amongst the more challenging and lower probability throws percentage wise across the league. And he did it every single week consistently while making Deshaun Kaiser take these like seven step drops, these long developing play routes. Um, and when you combine that with the way that he handled Kessler and took Kessler from a guy who was completing a good, good percentage of his throws on the underneath stuff and the swing routes and the passes, like high accuracy, but not pushing the ball down the field and said, no, 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 this doesn't fit with this dopey scheme that I have in mind. And then started trying to turn Kessler into the type of quarterback that he wanted Deshaun Kaiser to be. Um, that's when you really looked at it and you were like, Oh, you're just going to do this for everybody that we have. Like you're going to jam everyone into this, um, this concept that just doesn't work anymore in today's NFL. None of the teams that are really successful and are, are, are making Super Bowl pushes have that, um, that long developing North Turner air Coriel type offense. You're seeing every offense be able to build in high percentage routes that they then use in lieu of a heavy running game. So, so that high percentage, um, early down, you know, get a couple yards here and there, uh, option pass game with, with their RPOs and with their play actions um, to keep people on schedule. And instead, Hugh is the only person in the league that's going in the opposite direction of, we're going to continue to throw between 15 and 25 yards of the field on the boundaries and force our wide receivers to, to, to make contested catches that they just physically aren't capable of doing. Um, the one thing that does surprise me in all that, though, is I really felt coming into the season that there was going to be a, a dramatic change in the offense because of Todd Haley. I think that one of the most disappointing things to me early in the season was that it doesn't, it was hard for me to get a, a feel for Todd Haley's offense in a way that divorced it from what Hugh Jackson was trying to do last year. Yeah, I was very surprised about that as well. The, um, <clears throat> I didn't understand why we didn't see uh, a little bit more uh, departure from what Hugh was doing. And uh, it was really ugly under Tyrod, uh, you know, obviously in the uh, first two and a half games. And, 
you know, I thought in both games against the Pittsburgh Steelers, they sure knew their guy in Todd. And uh, it seemed like they didn't have any trouble uh, dealing with what he was trying to do to them. You know, I was hope I was just hoping uh, that he would be a bit of a panacea for what we saw uh, under Hugh, but it it just didn't work out that way. And I was, you know, I just try to keep the faith, but week after week, you know, we're eight games in, a whole you know, a whole half season, and it just didn't seem, you know, down the distance wise, I don't think we were making smart decisions based on today's, you know, NFL rules. So yeah, not ever. Yeah. Yeah, never. yeah and I, I, you know, I hadn't really dug into Todd Haley and, and what he'd done in, in Pittsburgh per se. I mean, obviously we were witness to what their offense did to us week in and week out when we played them throughout the season. But um, I, I was also kind of excited to see him come in and, and fix things. Um, you know, it has been a, a disappointment to say the least, especially, uh, you know, not adapting. And I think that's something that I like to hammer on a lot is, you know, you, you want to see your coaching staff adapt during the game um, and, and during the season to the, the personnel you have. To, to the scheme that you're going up against. And I just saw, like Josh, you said, a lot of the same things that Hugh was doing. And I think going into the season, I was excited about the, the, the 11 personnel and seeing two tight ends and Joku and, um, you know, and the valve out there. But then when you saw how they were utilized improperly, it kind of negated the whole fact or the whole reason of having two tight ends on the field. And so I, I was looking again to see Haley, okay, notice it, adapt it, change it. And, and do something different. And, you know, here we are, like you guys have been saying, seven, eight weeks in the season, and we're seeing the same shit on the field, the same the same routes, the, the same everything. And it, it's certainly for me was uh, the nail in the coffin. I mean, I was, I was ready to move on at that point. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And it was the thing that really bugged me the most about um, all the people that I see clamoring for the Browns to add talent at wide receiver, because obviously, like, the Browns are struggling at wide receiver. It's no big surprise. They've got a lot of injuries. Um, and they, they counted on guys like Antonio Callaway and Derek Willies that were unproven talents to step in and have real roles. But what I look at that and I say, look, if we're not going to utilize the players that are in place, if we're not going to utilize the, the NFL players that have shown even a marginal degree of success in the past, like a Seth DeValve, who had, who had a good year last year in a limited role, or Duke Johnson in the passing game with, with the 90-plus catches that he had, um, then I don't want to go out and invest in more talent that you're just not going to use. Yeah, I wanted to uh... – I, earlier today, I had a thought, and I, I didn't have time to do it uh, just because of work and whatnot. I wanted to make one of the uh, just about tired out memes, you know, with the boyfriend looking at the other girl. <laughs> Only it would be, you know, Todd Haley uh, with one of those Kansas City faces that, that he made and uh, looking at uh, Perriman holding hands with uh, DeValve and Duke. <laughs> <laughs> right. Probably would have captured uh, how I felt about the season. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't, but like, I'm watching this game last Sunday and I'm just like, okay, we're going to, you know, throw the ball to Rashad Perriman, who was like not good enough to even see the field in Baltimore when literally we, we can't figure out a way to use the, the guys that are on the squad. It's just, it's, it's maddening every week. And I think that at the end of the day, it, it's part of the reason that I think that Haley signed his death warrant. I think that it was a question of um, stubbornness and stubbornness and how they choose to operate. Um, I saw Brendan Leiser made a point earlier today that the Browns lead the league in running with uh, 11 personnel, meaning that they they lead the league in personnel groupings that feature three wide receivers. Um, and looking at the group that's here, that is criminal. That is malpractice. That's coaching malpractice. Like you can't set up a structure to work with, with players that you don't have. And I think that uh, an unwillingness to change, regardless of whose scheme and idea that is, 
I think that um, Dorsey probably looked at it and said, you know, if I can't pull out which one of you is at fault for this, then you can both go. Um, and it, it, it doesn't break my heart at all to see them both go, but it was a big surprise to me um, because I expected that, um, that he was going to be the, the guy to take the reins um, when he was fired midseason. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, uh, after a little bit of time to reflect on that, because I was very surprised, you know, a couple hours later to see Haley's name come up there uh, on the same update, you know, from ESPN saying he was fired. But, uh, you know, upon reflection, it it actually was a nice departure from what we've seen, geez, countless freaking times. How many times have we seen uh, these power struggles play out over the course of these new Browns since 99? I mean, it feels like it's – it's happened a half dozen times, if not more. And, you know, just upon reflection, I think it was nice if, if this is what they were trying to do is that nobody wins. You're both gone and nobody wins the power struggle and different is good. We haven't had a whole lot of, uh, this is totally different than what we've done in the past, but if you're going to look at it from that angle, I think this was a departure from what we see. And that was what was important to me about having um, um, what was important to me. And I had this conversation with Mike Bode over at the uh, waiting for next year. This is why I want to have a guy who's in charge. That's not Haslam. I don't want to have a bunch of independent bodies reporting up to the owner because I want that to be the truth that if you are disagreeing with your fellow coach, you guys still have to get it together as a team that there's no back channeling with the owner to place the blame for that thing on an individual, your team. And you're going to go down as a team, go down as a ship, or you're going to get it together as a ship. And, and maybe that's what this does. Maybe that's what this says. Yeah, I think that, I mean, that, that's the one silver lining to take from this. And I think I, I made a point before the game, and this is just obviously my opinion, but just in seeing body language, and I'm, I'm not a body language guy, but, you know, you can you could see it in the way players were responding. You could see it in the way they were addressing the media and answering questions that the team was sensing that there was some shit going on in the background, and, and they weren't they weren't about it. And you know, kind of what I, what I like is, you know, specifically Baker Mayfield's response to it. I mean, he's a guy that he's, he's a winner and, you know, whatever you can say, whatever you want about that term, but he's a winner. And you could tell that he, he wasn't, he wasn't vibing with what was going on. And, and I, I appreciate just the, the head chop across the board. And for me, honestly, I, I, I know it's just an interim thing, but I am, I'm excited to see the, the Greg Williams show. <laughs> I'm excited to see what he does for for the team, for the players. I mean, I know he's not a long-term solution, but I would I would love to see his energy and his gusto just kind of take a hold of this team, who who knows they have talent, and and kind of kind of kind of mix it up and and, and see what we can do with this last half of the season. Um, and I think furthermore, I, I asked Jake this the other day um, on Twitter, but and this is just uh, you know minimal type of a thing, but. You know, having Kitchens as an offensive coordinator who has no exposure to the league, you know, the league has no exposure to him, his tendencies, his, his, you know, his thought process, his philosophies. I'm excited to see if he can kind of maybe come out and throw a couple of haymakers at teams. Uh, I'm not expecting it, but I, I would like to see if that's something that we could see some early success with. So I want to say, for starters, I don't disagree with you, but I think that is the most Browns take of all time that firing your <laughs> offensive coordinator and hiring a guy who's never called plays in the NFL is actually a good thing that we're actually going to catch up by surprise with the blitz screen. Well, and, 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 and Freddie kitchens is the secret genius that nobody's heard about. Here he comes. 
Well, no, in fairness to me, I wasn't saying that that was like the good reason why. I was, and, and <laughs> after the dust is all settled, I'm, I'm just searching for something as we look at next week as maybe a, a, a minimal advantage for the team. Not that this is, you know, this is the greatest thing ever. We, this is the secret weapon we've been waiting for. But no, I just, I, I think it's just kind of a, something to consider and, and see what happens on Sunday. Yeah, I don't know um, exactly what we're going to see on Sunday, but I do remember uh, watching the preseason and uh, that being the most competent game plan that I saw. Now, yeah. it doesn't mean a whole lot because I'm 100% certain that Todd Haley was treating those like uh, glorified practices. Uh, you could just see how he was just, you know, going to make guys practice, especially in the, I think in the Giants game where like, he was going to make them run block because they hadn't done it well the game before. Uh, I never felt that Todd for one second uh, during the first three uh, preseason games uh, actually executed a game plan. He was just calling plays to see how we would execute them. Uh, so I don't know exactly how that's going to go, but I do know that uh, Kitchen's game plan in the, the last game I thought was very good. It was very varied. Um, that was easily Baker Mayfield's best performance in the preseason. And listening to uh, some of the things and doing some research on him, it looks like he – well, all right. Let me, let me also preface this by saying every single coach says they adapt to their personnel, every single one. They always talk about that. Uh, but, you know, I hope that he's going to understand what he has and what he doesn't. And there's solutions that we've talked about before on the show uh, that – are on this roster. And I, I just hope if, if I see Seth the line it up in the first half, uh, I'm going to feel pretty good uh, about our chances in this game. Let me put it that way. I'll put it this way too. I, I think that it's very simple. I think that if the Browns are going to have any success over um, if the Browns are going to have any success under this uh, temporary coaching arrangement, it'll be because there is some way that schematically you can make the run game work. And we saw it work against Detroit who has just a all time awful run defense, but if, if Freddie Kitchens can figure out a way to schematically get the run game consistently working and stick with it and use that run game to set up a passing game through play action, through RPOs, then maybe they'll find some success if they come out there and try and do the same things that they've been doing for, you know, eight games, that they'll, then they'll experience failure in the exact same kind of ways because this uh, offensive line can't pass block for beans. Um, Baker Mayfield was running for his life from the minute he hiked the ball last weekend through the end of the game until – uh, and, and unless they change the way that they go about doing business, which I have very little hope for, um, then the offense scheme is going to change. It doesn't really matter how well the defense plays if, if your offense can't sustain time on the field together. So uh, moving, moving on to talking about this week, um, obviously all this stuff is going to have some sort of an impact on, on how the, the Browns game day performance looks. Do you think that the, the Browns come out and punch somebody in the mouth this weekend? Do you think that the Browns come out and, and come out with a fire lit under their bellies? and execute in a way at the starter games that we just haven't seen them execute? Or do you think that it's going to be pretty much more of the same? And, I, and I'm not asking you if the Browns are going to win because we know that this is going to be an absolute bloodbath on Sunday. Um, but just do you think that it's going to have a fundamental – do you think that all of the drama from this week is going to have a fundamental difference on the way they show up Sunday? Yeah, I, I, I will do the, uh, the trick-or-treat question and answer it with the eternal optimist. Um, and there I, I do. I do. <laughs> I think, as I mentioned earlier, I, I think – Greg Williams' personality is gonna, is going to rub off on the team a little bit. I think getting rid of the the, the the bullshit in the background and the power struggle and and all the you know ineptitude that that was there, getting rid of that, um, the players are going to see it. The players are going to respond in kind. 
And, you know, I, I'm hopeful that we're going to see a competent game plan on the offensive side of the ball. that's going to give our defensive players time to rest, which God knows they haven't had any time. Um, I'm also hopeful that Kitchens is going to recognize and realize that Baker needs to play some shotgun more, that we need to do more spread formation, things that are more familiar to him, where he can get the ball out quickly to our playmakers. Um, like you said, Josh, I, I think that Nick Chubb is going to, you know, be able to, to be utilized more consistently. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm positive about our ability to come out and, and play a better brand of football, but I just think ultimately at the end of the game, and I know we're not doing no wins or losses, but my, my boy Pat Mahomes is just going to be too much to contain. Is Nick Chubb actually good? He's all right. <laughs> I think he's actually really good. I've been very impressed yeah. in the last two weeks. And maybe, again, that is your eternal Browns optimist, but no, I, love, I love the kind of back Nick Chubb is. Like, he's balanced. He runs between the tackles. He finishes runs well. He doesn't get tripped up. Like, he's like the anti-Crowell. You always see guys at his feet and ankles, but he just moves through it. It's really, really nice to see. Yeah, if I could say something real quick. Uh, now, I knew that Nick Chubb was – I liked him anyway coming in. When we saw him have, what, the second fastest run uh, when he had ripped off those two touchdowns, I'm telling you right now, that was the Nick Chubb that I saw in his freshman year at Georgia. And that guy would have gotten drafted over Saquon Barkley, believe me. And if that's the guy that we've gotten back, like after he's taken a couple of years to come back from this horrific knee injury – uh, we are, are in for a treat, my friends. Absolutely. I, I, I go back to, real quick, I go back to the, the, the two words that were spoken by Alonzo Highsmith when we, when we took him. I remember the press conference, and uh, somebody said, you know, who does he remind you of? And be, before he even finished asking him the question, he said, Jamal Lewis. Yep, yep, so, I remember that quote, and I remember thinking at the time, like, not a bad parallel. Yeah, I'll take it. That's a fantastic running back. And I think you're seeing shades of that in his ability to pick up 10, 15-yard runs, you know, including contact and burst through the hole. And he's, he's going to be a really exciting back to have on our squad. I honestly, think that, I honestly think that if the Browns wanted to get serious about running the ball this year and, and being competitive in these games, and this is just me and my perspective, that they would slide Batonio back over to left tackle – You'd play Corbett or you'd play uh, Robinson as a guard. You'd do something at that left guard spot. And you go out there and you play smash mouth football and you'd establish yourself on the offensive side of the ball. I think that the biggest mistake that the Browns have made this year from a personnel standpoint is not their usage of DeVal or Duke Johnson. It's what they did to that offensive line because those tackles can't do a thing. No, I agree. And I think that that it's just getting more and more, uh, you know, enunciated there. I mean, it's just, uh, I think it's, it's getting on the point of negligence if we're going to try and, and put our rookie quarterback behind uh, Desmond, uh, you know, Harrison on his blind side for another eight games. Uh, you know, it was one thing like he's had his moments, you know, he has physical talent uh, and he's had decent games, but like this last game was a little different. You know, he checked out mentally and you saw that on the safety. You saw that on these free rushers and it was that is the kind of play we cannot afford for eight games. Right. And I think it's, you know, the problem is, you know, what I heard is, and I don't know if you guys have heard this as well, Deacon was talking about He's not good at football. Uh, how, no. <laughs> you thought no, he was playing linebacker? <laughs> <laughs> no, when, uh, what I had heard, and this is the first that I've heard of this, that they have been spending the entire year since the start of uh, repping. Uh, Corbett at center and so if that's the case 
not only did you make the mistake of going with that undrafted free agent when he hadn't played all preseason, but you doubled down by not giving yourself a quick out. And if that's true, if, if all he's done is rep center, that puts us in a much worse position to make that move that I agree with you, Fenny. I want to do it. I want to do it right now. I don't want to wait for the bye week. I want to do it right now. But if that's what he's been doing, if he's been, if he's been repping center all year, I don't know if we can do it right now. I'm sorry. Maybe it's the, the Spike Sider talking about. I can't tell you right now who the next guard up would be if it wasn't Corbett. I just assumed it would be Corbett. Who would be the next person to slide in at left guard? Uh, it'd be, uh, what's his name, right? Um, yeah, definitely what's his name. What's his name? Definitely what's his name. Is it uh, Earl? What's his name? <laughs> no, no, from uh, – uh, Jesus Christ. We'll have to cut this out. But uh, it's, the guy, it's the guy from the same school as um, – no, Drongo. Drongo, Drongo. Drongo, he's, he's still on the roster, right? Drago Bloodfist is definitely still on the on the roster. Spencer Drago. That would, no, that didn't, would, we, didn't we get rid of him? I, don't I think thought we did. Isn't it didn't Fabiano? Don't we have, like, Anthony Fabiano or something might, like that? It might be Fabiano, which is another guy that I'd, I'd certainly rather see on the line than, than Harrison, but I honestly don't even know who it is. Okay, let's 3-2-1 this and get back in. No, I want to keep uh, – this is great stuff. This is great stuff. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. All right, so, so in closing here, um, I would like to – here, you guys give me one candidate that you think would be your uh, leader in the clubhouse right now for that head coaching gig. Not Josh McDaniels. Not Josh McDaniels. That's the correct answer to this question. And that's <laughs> the next most correct answer, in my opinion. Cut it down. <laughs> <laughs> the next most correct answer from everything that I'm hearing and what I would like to see in this place is uh, uh, Schwartz out of, uh, out of Philly, the, their defensive coordinator. Um, I know his, uh, his run in Detroit wasn't great. It um, was marred by some – questionable antics but he's a guy that knows the defensive side of the ball is considered to be um a, a, a good leadership figure um and and absolutely understands what's going on uh and i think that he would be able to partner with the kind of professional up-and-coming offensive coordinators you'd need to build an innovative scheme in the nfl so that's as of october 31st that's my guy my vote for the job okay yeah i you know, I think that Jim Schwartz is a very good choice. I think he's a qualified candidate. I think he could do a good job. But I think that the way that today's NFL is, um, I don't think that there's a lot of advantage to be gained on the defensive side of the ball. It's just not the way the rules are set up. Uh, so I, I lean heavily toward the kind of OC head coach type role. Just because you bring in a Jim Schwartz, and let's say you could even grab uh, John Filippo as your offensive coordinator. Well, you're only like a year or two away from somebody snatching him up to be a head coach somewhere else anyway. Yeah, I do love um, Coach Flip. I do. I, I, you know, he's, he's, he's great. Um, so my choice, and it may seem obvious, uh, I've, been rep, I, I've been saying this, and I have the receipts on Twitter since March of last year, since before we even drafted Baker, uh, I want Lincoln Riley. Uh, I think he's doing uh, innovative things with that offense, and I think that uh, it's telling that NFL coaches were flocking down there in the offseason to try and bring some of that magic back. I think that, you know, Baker told you that uh, half of his interviews were devoted to explaining Lincoln's offense to them <laughs> rather than about himself. Uh, and you have that uh, great benefit of, and, and I wouldn't downplay this, all right, um, it's you're never going to have that conflict where you have the new head coach and you have this quarterback who somebody else drafted. That's fair. That's fair. Mike, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, my number one choice is Lincoln Riley. Um, 
well, my number one choice is not Josh McDaniels, but <laughs> is, is definitely Lincoln Riley. But I, I think it, along that same line of thought, you know, the offensive uh, game plan and the offensive of rules and all that stuff dominating the NFL today, um, you know, and you again stole my thunder with the the the, the DiFilippo, but I. You know, if he's only one season or two away from being a head coach somewhere else, why the hell not here in Cleveland? Um, you know, I loved, I loved what he did bring when he was here. I loved his resume and, and what he puts out on the field. Uh, and, you know, if we're not able to get Lincoln Riley, I would say that that would be my choice is to try to go hard after Flip, try to get him back here and, and see what he can do as a head coach and an offensive innovator. So I'm going to spend the next, like, two, three months until the, they actually hire somebody new, getting super horny for all these names that we're discussing, because they're all good names. And I want you guys to, to hold me to it and remind me that if the answer is not Josh fucking McDaniels, that I got I to gotta be okay <laughs> with that. I got to be okay with that outcome, because there are options that are less good, and then there are Josh McDaniels. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, that's where I'm at. So, so uh Either way, I'm going to be excited. I'm, I'm still looking forward to watching the game on Sunday. I think that Baker Mayfield by himself makes this kind of appointment television for Browns fans. I'm really excited to see how he continues to grow. I think at the end of the year he's going to have uh, a pretty impressive stat line considering that he didn't play the first couple games and that he's operating in this kind of an offense with this kind of coach dipshittery. Um, and I think it's going to be good. I think it's going to be fun. And uh, I think that even in a losing effort, um, the Browns should be an entertaining watch this week. Um, closing thoughts? Yeah, I think uh, it should be pretty interesting. The you know the other side of this, I, I think that if you can enable Baker, then he will ball out because you know the, obviously a lot of people are aware of the last time these two quarterbacks faced off against each other, it's the most prolific offensive game in college football history. Well, if, if we know one thing from the Josh Gordon saga is that the Browns are really good at enabling people. So we should be good to go there. <laughs> Mike, Mike, what about you? What are your final thoughts? You know, I'm just, uh, I'm ready to go trick or treat tonight. That's what I, you know, I'm mad. You, you guys are actually in the future right now for me. Well, um, and the future is glorious and, and uh, full of type one diabetes. If I keep it up. Perfect. Me and Wilford Brimley are just going to sit here and wait to catch up with you guys. Um, <laughs> but uh Kidding aside, no, like I said, I, I, I expect to see a different brand of football. I don't know if it's going to be a winning brand of football. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm just excited to kind of see what unfolds from here now that uh, we've kind of made the right move. Me too. I think that next week's uh, podcast, after seeing the way this plays out and seeing what promises to be a hilarious post-game press conference with Greg Williams, um, will be really fun. I'm looking forward to this, uh, to, to this round next week. But in the meantime, uh, guys, thanks again for, for joining me tonight. This was great. It's always enjoyable. Uh, and I look forward to uh, ranting and raving like a lunatic with you all on Twitter all Sunday. Sounds good. All right, guys. Take it easy. Enjoy your candy, Mike. Hi, I'm Karis Fisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Kerryu, who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there.